in preparation to to our conversation because it was pretty broad. We were going to talk about social impact, and social impact is is what is in the name front and center of, of, of what you know Casey social impact is all about. But it's a term that's thrown around all over the place. And I did a little research and I found that there's over 1.7 billion searches on what social impact is. Hmm. And there, there's not a one size fits all definition for it. But um, you know it but what you need is a, all these ingredients, you know, stir them in the pot, but one of the most important ingredients is that those local stakeholders and that local buy-in because they're the ones who are living it in their daily lives. You are listening to The Real Leaders Podcast, where leaders keep it real. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, and that was the co-founder of Casey Social Impact Lab, Fabian Koss, who claims the key to social impact is to get the locals to buy in. In this episode, Koss shares what drew him to impact, his journey alongside young Latin leaders, and strategies for bridging the generational gap. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for the real Fabian Koss. Enjoy. That being said, folks, let's get this show on the road. Here we go in five, four, three, two, and one. And welcome everyone to this episode of the Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. Joining us today is the founder of the KC Social Impact Lab. It's Fabian Koss. Fabian, thanks for being with us today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And um, it's a real honor to be here with the real leaders. And I love your tagline. And that's what I live for is you know inspiring the future, which is really important. So it's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm glad we're ha- we have you on. And we, we want more people to be on like you, Fabian. And I'll it's interesting how we got on. That's actually a great segue is because we interviewed Matthias Ubendizer, who wrote the book Expanding Circles here. And in that book is Mr. Fabian Koss talking about your journey back to Argentina for the uh, work, your work with the IDB, the Inter-American Development Bank and all that. So the first question for you today, Fabian, is is what brought you back to Argentina considering or Latin America, considering you were born in Argentina? Well, that's a, that's a great question because I was born in Argentina. I came to the United States as, as a child with, with my family. And um, just to give you an idea, I'm in my early 50s, and I was one and a half years old when we immigrated to, to the United States. And um, you know, thank goodness to my parents and, and my upbringing, you know, Spanish was always the law of the land at home and at the dinner table. Even um, I the IDB in 1994 as a gringo, as a, as a U.S. citizen, um, Argentina never left me. And thanks to being, you know, raised bicultural and, you know, and, and binational, it was it was an opportunity to be able to join the Inter-American Development Bank. And um, Latin America always had a special place in my heart, especially Argentina and, and neighboring Uruguay. But joining the IDB in 1994, traveling extensively throughout the Western Hemisphere and, and the Americas was 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 a dream come true. And it's it's something that um, never leaves you. You might leave Latin America, but Latin America never leaves you. That was going to that's an interesting thought there. Like, what does that do to you when you get to experience so many different cultures all throughout the world? Did that have a, a certain impact on you and how you kind of see your role in the world? 100%. And um, not only nationally when you're traveling and visiting these countries, but even within those countries, they're so diverse. I mean, you know, exploring Sao Paulo and exploring the Amazon 
for exploring the Andes Mountains or or, or Cusco and then being in, in metropolitan cities like Lima, 100%. And it also gave me the opportunity not to just to travel throughout the Western Hemisphere, but also through Europe, um, Asia, and, and the Middle East. And it's just, there's nothing like being there. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult now, especially in the, the days we're living because of the limitations on travel, but 100% it made all the difference in the world for me. So how does an organization like IDB uh, help out social entrepreneurs uh, reduce inequalities in these communities or marginal communities around Latin America? What was the IDB's role or still is their role? And uh, what did you work on? Well, what I worked on specifically was creating the youth development program. It was very interesting. I, I came on board in 1994. Um, to join the IDB, I was asked by then President Enrique Iglesias, not the singer, mind you, but but the former Minister of Foreign Relations of Uruguay, who was the president of, of the IDB at the time, to basically work with the bank to identify the young leaders of the region. Um, in 1994, over 65 percent of the population in Latin America and the Caribbean was under 30 of age. And of course, youth and, and, and young people have been direct beneficiaries of of IAB loans and projects through the development process, but they weren't active participants in you know, the design and, and having a seat at the table. So it was very interesting because mind you, in 1994, this was before the internet, before the World Wide Web or email. So it was a pretty daunting task. And they also were very clear uh, the, you know, at the bank's management and at bank's executive directors that they didn't want necessarily to identify future IDB bureaucrats or economists, you know, or, or your perhaps traditional youth leader that has a formal education, but rather leaders from all walks of life, all sectors, whether they were indigenous leaders, tribal leaders, rural leaders, urban leaders, they could have had masters and PhDs, or perhaps they had very little formal education. But the common denominator, the common thing that brought everyone together was how they contributed to their communities. And, and we hit a gold mine because we received thousands of applications to participate in this process of which we selected 150 youth from 45 countries to go to Israel. Um, Israel and I'm, Israel is a donor member country of, of, of the IDB. So our board of governors meeting, the board of governors are the ministers of economy, finance, in the case of the U.S. government, the secretary of the treasury, to participate in this process. And they had such an impact, these 150 youth on the governors, that they asked those youth to select amongst themselves 20 that would be invited and paid for by the IDB to come to our headquarters in Washington, D.C. to create a youth development program. So my life changed there and the bank changed in the sense that we were very proud then that the IDB youth program was created not only for young leaders to participate, but with young leaders to participate in, in, in the development process. What type of value did the young generation bring to the table? Like, what did you not expect that they would be able to bring and what were some of the results that you saw from that program? Oh, it's incredible. Ingenuity, um, grit, the, the, their reality. Nobody really knows better than, than, than them what their challenges are, whether it's workforce development or employment challenges or education challenges or lifestyle challenges. And one of the things that we learned very quickly was in order to really draw them in and, 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 and to hook them, get their attention, we had to speak their language. So thus, you know, you, young people love music. They, they love creativity. Thus, we created an incredible partnership with, with MTV and, and, and Viacom. And that partnership, thank goodness to that partnership, which revolutionized the way media and entertainment is, is working with young people. That led me to my current position at, at KC Social Impact Lab that we'll talk about later. 
you know, with my partner, Mario Catter, Frey, Fresh, who was then the head of, of CSR for Latin America and the Caribbean. And we wanted to change that paradigm about youth because un- unfortunately, and I'm generalizing, but it's, it's typically true. Unfortunately, young people are in the media for not always good news. You know, I, I hate that expression. If it bleeds, it leads, but it's true and, and it exists, but we wanted to change that paradigm and, and highlight the positive things that the young people were doing. And we did a small, I'll, I'll never forget this. It was during the video music awards that MTV produces every year in, in Latin America. And we did like a 30 minute spot, a 30 minute, PSA commercial. And the website crashed because we received thousands and thousands of projects, um, not just ideas, mind you, but existing projects of of young leaders. And thus was the creation of of Agents of Change, Agentes de Cambio, that that the IDB created with MTV and then brought on other incredible great partners like Ashoka and their youth venture program, et cetera. So it 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 was a fantastic experience. But that we came to the realization very quickly that in order to really reach young people, you, you know, you had to speak their language, you know, and, and, and draw them in to the process. So in terms of this, this cross-sector partnership, uh, the IDB being, um, is this an NGO? IDB is an NGO? No, the IDB is an international multilateral organization. Okay. So now you're working with uh, the private sector, with MTV. Why was it important? Absolutely. Right. So why was it important for MTV to you know, uh, incorporate this type of movement into, you know, their, their, uh, their process or their, their campaign? Well, it was important for MTV and, and, and for Viacom because they, they want to be agents of change. They, they, they want to do good, you know, and, and, and it's not good just for their bottom line because they are a media company and, and it is a business, but they're an incredible vehicle. They're an incredible way to reach millions and millions of, of, of households and, mm. and people. And it's, it's, you know, they're corporate citizens. And, and Mario really made such a strong impact. And, and when he created this position and then created his team to drive social impact and and the, the return or, or the social return on investment is, was 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 incredible as well you know because mtv was a path you know a, a trailblazer in, in, in this area and and it, what started as agents of change in latin america became the model for for mtv and viacom's global corporate social responsibility speaking uh, the younger generation's language is something that's so important uh and is really missed by a lot of big companies now uh and leaders. Let's just talk about that, for, for instance. You know, you think about Argentina right now um, and many other places in Latin America. There's been a, a civil uprising from a lot of the young generation where they're, from what I've been hearing, they're connecting on social media and they feel like they're not being heard. And they're not being heard by the leaders of these political organizations, by corporations. And they, want, they don't want to do anything other than just take this system down. That's what I've been reading in the news. This started before the pandemic, and it's crippled uh, these these communities since then. Uh, someone from the UN calling it the epicenter of the pandemic. So with all of this in mind, with the younger generation uprising and coming out and saying, we want change, how does a leader in a political organization and a corporation listen to them and speak their language? Well, I think it's important for a leader in, in this particular case to embrace them and and to listen and to listen. And now the tools have been become so powerful that with, with, with social media, you know, that they're creating these movements and, you know, amplifying their movements and, you know, giving their, these movements strength. 
And in in the Western Hemisphere, there's you know in, mo- in most cases in most countries there there are democracies and and there are elected officials and and they listen to these youth. And you'd be surprised, but there's a lot of young leaders um, in positions of power in in, in these countries. And I, and I'm very proud also because when I see a lot of them in certain countries, um, they're they actually you know make it to ministerial level. Um, I worked very closely with the current president of, of Colombia, President Ivan Duque. We worked together for many many years and. Um, he, he's a prime example. He's the youngest president ever elected to, to Colombia, one of the youngest presidents elected ever in, in, in the region. So um, I think it's a it, it's I'm from Argentina, so I'm going to use the tango, but it is a dance and um, you have to listen. And, 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 and thank goodness for these vehicles that give these young people an, another amplification for their participation, which is so important. Another thing that I found interesting is all of these uprisings had things in common. Now, also with your impact uh, campaigns and strategies, you weren't just in one location. How important is it to understand these local communities and create the impact you want within those specific communities that have different challenges? It's everything. You need that local buy-in. I mean, without that, you can't. You really can't do anything. You can't parachute down or or, or land down into a particular country, town tribe or, or rural village and, and think you have all, all the answers. You're, you're there to listen first. And I think that's super, super important um, in preparation to, to our conversation, because it was pretty broad. We were, we were going to talk about social impact and social impact is, is what is in the name front and center of, of, of what, you know, case social impact is all about, but it's a term that's thrown around all over the place. And I did a little research and I found that there's over 1.7 billion searches on what social impact is. And there, there's not a one size fits all definition for it, but, um, you know, it, but what you need is a, all these ingredients, you know, stir them in the pot. But one of the most important ingredients is that those local stakeholders and that local buy-in because they're the ones who are living it in their, in their daily lives. So maybe break that down for us. How would you define social impact? How would I define social impact? That's a really good question. I think it's the effect on people and communities that happens as a result of an action or inaction. For instance, you know, it could be uh, an activity, a project, a program or a policy, and that can be shaped. I mean, decisions can be shaped um, behaviors can be changed. I mean, you know, that's the power of storytelling, the power of effective media relations. Um, but, you know, it's, you know, it goes back to if the tree falls in the middle of, of the woods and nobody hears it fall, how do you know it falls? I mean, you have to be able to tell that story. And, and, and most importantly, after telling that story, incorporate measuring how it worked, you know, how, how those, you know, those, the, that program, if you're working on a specific program or project or, or working towards changing policy, you know, how are you getting there and how you're getting there and measuring all the steps of the way. And most importantly, you know, it's important to see how it worked and, and more, even more importantly, how it didn't work and why it didn't work. That's something that's so interesting to me, the measurement of impact. Like, how do you, how do, you do that? Everyone has their own uh, measurement systems. If you go to any conference, they're saying, hey, this is how we measure impact. People aren't sharing how they're measuring impact within their own, like, let's say their portfolio or that they're an impact investor. Like, how do you specifically measure social impact so that you can manage appropriately? 
well, there's not a one size fit all measurement. I, I, I wish it was, I wish it could be that easy, but relying on the experts and, and, and relying on data and how you, you know, how do you quantify and qualify that data and how, how you analyze that? It's, it, it's so important. And unfortunately it's a huge challenge, especially for a lot of the smaller NGOs and, and nonprofit organizations that, you know, because it's expensive, it could be very expensive because you need a lot of tools and a lot of expertise to really get into the nitty gritty of, of how you measure these outcomes and, and, measure these results what what for our audience listening to this like what would be a, a metric of social impact a metric of social impact okay we did a really interesting project with for instance uh, when i was at the idb and now we're with casey social impact lab with with Concacaf, um with with fifa using sports as a tool for development another really interesting way to draw youth right. in and, and use them as 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 a hook and we did an employability program called Aganar, which was really fascinating because the Aganar, which means to win, and Avancer, which is to win in, in Portuguese. Um, the, the, the spark for, for that project was, I'll never forget this, we had a visit by the then Minister of Sport of Brazil, uh, a gentleman by the name of Pele. And of Pele came to the bank and, and threw down the gauntlet and said, you know, we want to use in this particular case, football, soccer as, as the tool for development. And, you know, we, we had to think really hard at the bank saying, well, how are we going to hmm. get public monies and create a program for sports? You know, because, you know, sure, it's, it's great to make better athletes and, and, and so forth and so on and to promote sports, but that's not necessarily the mission of the bank. So we created a workforce development program. And I'm getting back to how you successfully measure the, the results. And this workforce development program, was to teach young people life skills, which is also difficult to, to measure. But these particular life skills or habilidades para la vida or soft skills, as they call them, are super important for employment. And there's a huge, huge issue and, and, and challenge with, with youth unemployment in, in, in the world, but in specific, especially in Latin America and the Caribbean. So in order for the young people to participate on the pitch, they had to participate in the classrooms off the pitch. And we would incorporate different CEOs and different companies that would come on board as, as, as sponsors. And we would, you know, we would meet with these CEOs or these business leaders and they would tell us, you know, Fabian, we know how to make our widget. We know how to produce our product. But what we don't know necessarily or have the time to do is to teach these young people or, or future employees to communicate, to show up on time, to respect, you know, know how to win, know how to lose, know how to communicate, you know, these, these life skills, which are so important. And this, that's the, the role of this caring adult, mm. which is another, another factor, but going back to how do you measure this? We first measure how many youth participated in the program would sign up for the program. How many youth stayed throughout the program? In other words, completed the program and, and what grades did they get in the program? And then most importantly, how many youth were hired post program and during the program? And then how many maintained their employability and, the, and their positions. And it would be incredible. I mean, if we had the resources to do a real tracer study to see kind of like, where are they now? It would be, that would be fascinating. But this was a program that started in three countries and then it grew and it expanded to over 11 countries. That's, that's incredible. Uh, what would you say like, would be some of the commonalities between all of these campaigns you've been running? Is it that sense of connection is it seeing someone? Is it a mentor? Is it the training? Is it uh, trust? Like, what are some of the things in terms of a leadership perspective that would you say would be manifested in all of these projects? It's um, I would bring it the, the word that I would perhaps use the best word that I would use is ganas, mm. which is the the, the will, the the want, 
the, the want to do this, the, the desire to do this, you know, and the other words that you bring up are super important, the trust, the mentors, but you have to have the buy-in. You have to have them want to participate in these programs or else you're not going to get them. You're not going to get their 100% buy-in. You're not going to get their 100% commitments. And a lot of, you know, a lot of the people that go through these programs fall through the cracks, but it's, it, it's the, it's the desire and it's also the commitment um, for instance, at Casey Social Impact Lab, we've got an incredible partnership with UNICEF. And we're working with UNICEF in, in this particular case in Honduras. And the, the commitment of of the team and, and you know, of, of team building and, and, and of the leadership that, that, that UNICEF is demonstrating, for instance, in this particular case is, is so important because you need all those elements to come into place because you have challenges, specific, especially in, in this particular project whether it's COVID or natural disasters after the fact, but the commitment never, never, never goes away. And, you know, if you have that commitment, it's, it's, it's everything. And, and with those ganas, you know, with that desire. So you've done a lot of impact initiatives in Latin America. Now with Casey social impact lab, bringing on private or public um, you know, sector partnerships and really trying to grow that impact. Then all of a sudden out of nowhere, a pandemic hits. And I'll mention it again. Someone's saying the other day, it's the epicenter of this pandemic. You know, people are rising up in the streets because they need to go back to work. Um, it's 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 not looking good over there right now with all of the efforts that they put in, all the progress that they've made. Now we are set back just a little bit. How do you respond to something like that? And what are some of the initiatives maybe that you're working on right now with Casey Social Impact Lab? It's, you know, you've got to, and, and everybody's been using this, this, this word during the pandemic, but you have to pivot and you have to, you have to change on the fly and, and, you, and you have to adapt and you have to change. For instance, a specific initiative, one of our wonderful partners is an organization called OneSite. And OneSite is, is, is fighting the, the vision crisis. I mean, one out of seven people can't see, can't see, can't see in front of them. And in the case of one site, what they do is they've got two models, which are super important. Um, mm-hmm. You have a sustainable model where they actually come into these countries, work with the ministries of health, work with the governments and, you know, and train ophthalmologists and optometrists and, you know, change affect policy. And then you have the charitable model where they'll come in. We, they did a terrific project in the Amazon because of the technology that they have. They were able to build eye vision hospitals basically into boats and go into the Amazon river. And this was a really neat project oh. that national geographic came on board and Stephanie Sinclair, who's a rock star, Pulitzer prize photographer. Interesting. Joined this trip. And, you know, and you actually got to see mothers, you know, see their seven year old, eight year old kids for the first time, you know, clearly. And it's just something as, as wow. simple as, and as powerful as, you know, you know, combating the, the, the vision care crisis and COVID has really hit it because they rely a lot on volunteers. You know, it's they rely a lot on their staff, but it, you have to be there. You have to you have to be on the ground and travel restrictions has has changed a, a lot of things. And COVID is affecting, for instance, the work that we're doing with UNICEF in Central America as well. But we'll, we'll get there and we'll, we'll get it done. It's just you have to adapt and, and, and be creative. And I think um, that's a lot of the positive things if any if there is a silver lining to to to, to covid is, is 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 adapting and changing and, and coming up with these really interesting solutions that perhaps were never in one's mind before this this happened um trying to be, you know be basic, basically be able to be there whether it's virtually like you and i are together this this afternoon or optimally in in person and on the ground because nothing replaces that 
maybe not, I don't know about you, but I've had a lot of time to think by myself during this pandemic, staying at home, uh, plenty of time to sit and reflect. Have you ever thought about like what's keeping you going uh, and, and maybe a, a, a lifetime goal of your, your own? What keeps me going is, is the, the, the work that we do. Um, the, the, the lives that we, we, we change, um, you know, being able to come up with an aha moment, you know, with, with, with a client, with, with, with a partner and, you know, seeing, seeing the good that, 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 that comes out of this, um, and trying to be as, as resourceful and, and, and trying to be as, be an agent of change as, as one can be not being there on, on the ground or in person fighting that fight with, um, with your partners and, and your clients. But, um, it's it's the mission of, of the organizations that, that that we support, um, whether it's a company or, or an international organization or an non governmental organization. You know, it, it's coming up with or or having playing a role in coming up with with, with those those solutions to to these big social, you know, global issues that that are affecting so many people. Fabian, what's your philosophy on like capitalism? and how it should be used to approach these problems. Like, you know, for instance, uh, you know, Milton Friedman, you know, it's maximized shareholder value. That's the social responsibility of a business. And a business isn't a person. And those business leaders need to make decisions to maximize that profitability. So that's what Milton Friedman said in 1980. Now, what's your philosophy on this? Do you think capitalism can optimize for something more than just the bottom line? 100% capitalism is, is, is so important and there's so many, I wouldn't call them spinoffs, but so many, you know, you know, programs and, and, and initiatives, whether it's conscious capitalism created by the founder of Whole Foods. And, and I know you had Matthew Weatherly White on, you know, from, from Cap Rock and how he's worked with impact investment and, and you guys yourselves, real leaders being a B Corp. I mean, it's a for-profit corporation that, that, that wants to do good. And if you look at, and I know we've had this discussion in one of our earlier talks about business schools and how young people are, are changing and how these business schools have to change and to adapt to capture these young future business leaders. I mean, one of uh, a really interesting study that came out from the World Economic Forum in 2017, they interviewed over 25,000 young people between the ages of 18 and 35 from 186 countries. And they took part in this Global Shapers annual survey, though the World Economic Forum has this wonderful partnership called the Global Shapers, which is this network of these incredible young leaders that, that are in hubs all over the world. And it found that over 40% of these young people think that a sense of purpose or impact on society is one of the most important criteria when considering a career opportunity in the for-profit business business world. And then if you look at organizations, you know, that are working on socially responsible investing or impact investing, I mean, it, it's, 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 it's doing, doing good for the company, for the bottom line, for the, for the profitable return on investment, but also creating an SROI, a social return on investment which is super important. And there's organizations like the Global Impact Investing Network, the GIN, that's supported by USAID and the Rockefeller Foundation and, and banks like JP Morgan and you know the MacArthur Foundation. There are these incredible resources. Um, you know, capitalism is, is this what drives the economies. You know, and um, look at, um, for instance, when they created, um, you know, in 2010, 10 years ago, the Giving Pledge, when Warren Buffett got together with, right. with, with Bill Gates. And that started with 40, you know, 40, you know, pledges from, from 40 people it just in the United States. And in 10 years now, it's over, you know, 200 pledges in over 24 countries. 
I mean, and it's, you know, and a lot of these people who are commit making these pledges are, you know, billionaires and, you know, they're in the billionaires club and then, and, and, and capitalists. And that wouldn't exist without, you know, the positive side of capitalism. Now, what do you think about that though, as well? Like the giving pledge, like when you donate a percentage of your profits to something else, that's a uh, foundation, a contribution. Do you think that's enough to sustain the the problems that we're facing in today's day and age? I mean, for instance, we, we, we've got 4 billion people in poverty. You know, we've got climate change, um, rising sea levels, uh, acidic oceans, uh, some systemic problems as well. I mean, do you think philanthropic capital is enough to sustain these things? And I guess maybe the better question is, is do you think those corporations, these for profits are, like you said, speaking the younger generation's language? It's never enough. It's never it, enough. It's, That's right. It's, 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 it's never enough. I mean, the world's going through some, we're going through some major challenges. Um, and there's a lot of people suffering. And every day there's more people suffering, but it's a step in the right direction and everybody's got to come together. I mean, right. it's important that, they, that these steps are being taken place. It's not just about these people, this network of over 200 billionaires who, who have committed, you know, big part of their fortunes to, to philanthropy, but that's, that's great. But it's also really important how they're getting together. They meet once a year in, the, in their particular case, and they discuss ideas, and they discuss the best ways to invest or the best ways to collaborate. Um, you know, you got to bring all the players in. And then that's complicated, too, because different sectors have different speeds. And, uh, and I learned that uh, the hard way, but you have to, you have to work with everybody. And that's, that, that, that's, that was my formal training in, in the fire, you know, doing, learning by doing, because that's basically... What I did, one of the first things that we did that were, that I'm very proud of when I was at the IDB in my career was we created the Inter-American Working Group on Youth Development, which was an interagency working group to, to collaborate, not just to share financial resources, but to share brain trust and to share, you know, what's working and more importantly, what, what, what's not working. And then throughout that process, we brought in bilateral agencies and large foundations and young people themselves, which was which was super important, but that collaboration is, 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 is a must. And now with the tools that we have and with, with technology, it's, it's that much easier. It's, it's interesting how this next generation is communicating as well. Like if, I think I mentioned earlier about people gathering and rallying and protesting and, and organizing through social media, yet they're leaderless movements. There's no, like, there's no MLK, there's no Malcolm X. Uh, you know, there's no Harriet Truman, you know, there's no person that you can identify that's, that's leading that movement. And then when that happens, there seems to be a sense of a loss of connection, a loss of trust, maybe a, a miscommunication. How do you see like social media's role in the, the ever changing landscape of communications changing and how do you see that impacting communication in order to achieve a, a common goal? Oh, it's, it's social media is, is everything. And it's for me personally, you know, being somebody in my, in my early fifties, it's a big challenge. I guess I have a big advantage that I have four kids and, and, and my youngest is 16, who's kind of my mentor and trainer in, 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 in social media. Because once you think you get the gist of Facebook, Facebook is no longer perhaps the tool for young people. And then Twitter obviously has, sure. has power. And then, you know, they are not Twitter, Facebook. No, we're on Instagram and no, Instagram's not cool. Now it's a TikTok. or no, it's not, it's, 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 it's incredible how fast and, you know, and, and for them, um, I'm a, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a technology native. I'm a technology immigrant. You know, I wasn't born with it. They're, they're, they're born with this. 
I mean, they have it built into their, their, their DNA. Um, and these movements are just incredibly, they're, they're, but you, 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 you know, as, as effective as it is, it's also a double-edged sword because, right. you know, you, you lose a lot of that, you know, accountability and, and, you know, I call them, not all of them because there's some incredible movements that, that have set up state, but, um, you know, there's also a lot of movements that perhaps are the flavor of the week or the flavor of the day and, and sustainability is important and it, and it is a challenge. Well, well, what's different though? I mean, you mentioned, before, oh, we did this movement before the internet was even there. Like what's different about rallying, you know, a community together to, to achieve a common goal and back in 19, I think you said 1984 versus in 2020 when everyone's online communicating and reading the surface level stuff and trying to organize that way. There's a lot of differences. I mean, and again, and I think I mentioned it earlier, nothing replaces the face to face. But now you can be face to face. You can be screen to screen now. Um, and, and, and now how many people have it's incredible. We do a lot of this, this, this research and how many people have access, even in the developing world of smartphones, of, of internet access of, you know, I was in a meeting with a ministry of education of Argentina, not that long ago. And a lot of these kids are, are and a lot of these teachers, they're, they're getting their curriculum and, and they're learning via WhatsApp. I mean, the use of WhatsApp, for instance, is, is something incredible. And, you know, that's because of the COVID situation. That's, you know, the next best thing to, you know, seeing you listening to your teacher and, and seeing your teacher. And in this particular case, they're listening to their teacher or getting the recordings or communicating with their teachers via, via WhatsApp. And I, I had my doubts because I'm thinking, well, how do the, how do they get to the poorest of the poor or to the, you know, to the base of the pyramid, you know, but there is the internet penetration and, and smartphone access is, is, is pretty, pretty incredible, but it's not, it's not the end all cure, obviously. Yeah, how do you see that? Uh, like when you think about the leapfrog approach, these uh, you know this younger generation, Latin America, leapfrogging the desktop or tablets or TVs and going straight to the mobile phone. Like, how do you see that changing um, the infrastructure and the economy and communication in Latin America? You know, versus ten years ago. Oh. It's a world of difference. Yeah. Um, and the fact that these smartphones and, and WhatsApp is so much more economical than having a laptop or like, as you mentioned, a, a television, nobody under 25, I'm generalizing, of course, but I don't think anyone under 25 even watches television, you know, and, and here or, or, in, or in Latin America or, or the Western Hemisphere. It's all YouTube or online entertainment or online ways of, of, of communicating. And, and before when I supported a lot of these youth, I remember I, I did a lot of work bridging the digital divide in the late 90s or early 2000 and uh, working with, you know, bringing in companies like Microsoft and bringing in NGOs and organizations like the Committee for the Democratization of Informatics and how challenging it was because then a youth in order to have access to a computer or, you know, learn how to program. And then afterwards, when the internet came, be able to participate, they went to these famous and they were very, you know, a lot of these projects were, were developed by a lot of organizations, you know, these internet cafe movements mm. or these internet <clears throat> stations. And now it's, it's, you know, it's, it's boiled down to something as, 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 as small as this, you know, and, you know, which it becomes their office, their, 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 their entertainment and, and their, their, their way of doing business. So now let's just, let's look forward ourselves. Like where do you see this impact movement going, you know, in a couple of years, what would you like to see 
and how would you like to uh, see society and capitalism evolve? Well, I think capitalism is 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 a key. Um, I think you need the private sector. You need you need to leverage your resources. You need to bring in a lot of different players and, and stakeholders to the table. I think technology is just changing every second. I mean, we're very fortunate at, at KC. We have on our team Julia D'Amico, who Mario and I both worked with when I was at the IDB, and Mario was at MTV. Julia was with um, the Italian government at the time, and then she was also the CEO of One Laptop Per Child. And also had management positions at, at 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 Lego Education, and you know you need to have those type of people and to to help you push that 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 vision and and that you know it's incredible how at tech and you know both are so important education and technology is 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 changing changing the world. We're in early conversations with a leading AI firm, um, you know, working on artificial intelligence, but they want to do it for good. I mean, it's just you, you you've got to be abreast of everything, even you've got to read up on everything, but it changes by the second. I mean, it, 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 it's so important. But like I said, when one thing, when Facebook comes out, then it's the Instagram and then it's the TikTok and then it's the Twitter. And, and, you know, you look at it from, we were talking about government and, and, you know, and, and youth participation and the democratic process. I mean, these tools are, are vital for that and, and getting those messages across. Baby, we talked a lot about the younger generation. What advice do you have for um, the the more sophisticated and experienced generation? The most, I guess that. What advice would I tell myself? I guess, um, yeah, because because you're you're most certainly a, a young leader and and a youth is um don't don't forget not only where you came from but when you were that age. Um, and, you know, it's, it's hard sometimes for people to, to, to look back, but the advice that I give is to don't forget when you were, when you were a young person, I've often been misintroduced as a youth development specialist for interest or somebody who's a, you know, works for his whole career in youth development specialist. And I would always tell people that doesn't really exist because there are youth employment specialists. There are youth and technology specialists, youth and culture specialists, but youth is, is, is it's not a sector. It's really a stage in one's life that, that we all go through. Mm. So you know, don't forget, you know, give you a little bit of that Peter Pan, you know, you know, don't, you know, you can grow up and, and, and be a person, but put yourself in, in those shoes and their shoes or in the shoes of young people. And you can do that because, you know, I can't speak for everybody, but I think most cases we were, we were, you know, people that get older. Are, are younger. And another important element I think that can't be overthought is um, the intergenerational dialogue, which, which is so important, you know, and, and, and talk to, you know, the older people and, you know, have, have those, have those stories. And that goes into how powerful storytelling is and from that historical perspective as well. Well, one of those words uh, in terms of dialogue was Ghanis that you used earlier in the show, the want how would you describe and what is your definition, Fabian, of a real leader? My definition of a real leader is, you know, and I, I think about this all the time because there are so many definitions. But, you know, and it, this is something that someone once told me that means a lot to me. He said, Fabian, you know, a real leader is somebody who sends the elevator back down. You know, you, 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 you come, you, you're, you're going up, you're going up, you're building your career, you're building your knowledge, you're building your base. But then, you know, send that elevator back down to, to, to the, the next generation of, uh, of younger leaders. I mean, we're doing that in, in our daily practice um, at Casey Social Impact Lab. We're, you know, we're all young at heart, but we have these two incredible young leaders who are recent graduates of the Harvard Divinity School. And we created this, this 
they created and they're leading this this new initiative called the deeper dive which i invite everybody to to, to check out on the deeperdive.org which is in this particular case taking religious literacy and and, and how it affects um, media and entertainment um you know it's it, it's 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 so diverse but it's 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 everywhere, but it's incredible. And, and, and I'm blown away every time I meet with these, these young leaders who are, you know, and, and, you know, taking this on and creating this and, and developing these new things. So it's, it's not just important to, to, in our particular case, to, to listen to the young leaders, but also bring them on, you know, bring them on board. I love it. It's, it's much needed, uh, definitely in today's day and age. Now, Fabian, let's, let's get some shout outs here. Where can people find more information about the Casey Social Impact Lab and uh, what are some websites that they should be going to? They can go to our, our website, which is caseysocialimpactlab.com. Again, it's caseysocialimpactlab.com. And they can go in the, or deeperdive.org, which is, you know, this, this, this program that we created. And, um, you know, we've got some great case studies there and it, and it talks about everything that, that we, we do. And um, we're excited. I mean, we're, it's, there are challenging times, uh, but we've got some incredible partners, some, some incredible clients that, that I call partners um, that are just doing incredible work. You know, and if we can just help them, you know, leverage resources and help them get their story out and, you know, you know, to amplify their message. It's, it's just it's just incredible. But, but the, the good things that are happening. Oh, absolutely. Well, I'm glad we were able to amplify your message today, Fabian. Thanks for coming on the show. It was a, I had a great time speaking with you. I learned a lot about uh, your background, your history, especially in Latin America, the importance of, you know, youth involvement and inclusion uh, and how you measure impact. So I thought it was a great conversation uh, for Fabian Koss. I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there, send the elevator back down, folks, and always keep it real. Thanks, Fabian. Thank you. And thank you, good people, for hanging on to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast with Fabian Koss. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And folks, if you didn't know by now, all of these episodes are streamed live on our Crowdcast channel. Probably the easiest way to figure that out is just by following us on LinkedIn. Also, if uh, you want to send us an email, email us, email me. I'll read them all at be at real-leaders.com. That's be at real-leaders.com. See what we did there? Also, folks, what keeps this show going is if you leave a review. We finally got to 50. I'm pretty pumped about that. I think I asked you guys back in August to get there, but, you know, now we're there. So thank you, good people, for letting us know what you think about the podcast and, more importantly, what others can expect when they land on this channel. That's it for me, folks. Thanks for tuning in, and always keep it real.